0: What would it be like to know someone's thoughts? It would be really useful, wouldn't it, sometimes? Apparently twins often have this thing where they, could, that they can tell that they're, they're, what they're thinking of the other person. It's called telepathy, twinsy telepathy. I don't know if it's real or not. I was hoping Jack and Darcy were here tonight to verify it, but they're not here. The longer I have been married, the better I get at knowing what Alana's thoughts are, believe it or not. I might not be 100% accurate all the time, But I could say that I know her thoughts fairly clearly on a variety of things, from what brand of yoghurt she'd pick at at Woolies when, when, when I'm there and she's not there, and also to what tugs her heart when things aren't going well. I'm sure you've had moments where you either would like to know someone else's thoughts or you do have a good idea of what they're thinking because you know them so well. Well, this conversation Jesus is having with these Pharisees in chapter 12 of Matthew began because Jesus knew the Pharisees' thoughts. Look back at verse 25. And we hear that phrase quite a few times when Jesus interacts with these Pharisees and people in general. Back in chapter 9, we, when Jesus forgave the sins of the paralysed men, Jesus knew what the teachers of the law were thinking. When Jesus healed the shriveled hand of a man on the Sabbath, we're told that Jesus knew what the Pharisees were thinking. But today's passage is going to go one step further than that, and we're going to see that Jesus not only knows people's thoughts, he knows the condition of their heart. King Solomon was told both these truths back in his time. He was told that the Lord searches every heart and understands every desire and every thought. 1 Chronicles 28. And here is Jesus in the flesh, and he knows people's thoughts, and he knows people's hearts. There's no hiding anything from Jesus. Everything is laid bare. Are you ready for that truth? There's no hiding anything from Jesus. Not in your thoughts, not in your desires, not even in the recesses deep down in your heart. It's somewhat uncomfortable, isn't it? So strap yourself in. We're going to be looking at this passage, finishing off our series in Matthew. I'm going to pray before we do that. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that we can open up the Bible, uh, that we can open up to see who you are and see who Jesus is. Help us to see ourselves accurately. Spirit, would you work powerfully in our lives so that we'll be changed because of encountering the Lord Jesus tonight? We pray in his great name. Amen. Verse 38. Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to Jesus, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. As if they hadn't seen enough, eh? They're asking for another sign from Jesus. If you had time to look back over chapters 8 and 9, we read of at least nine miracles that Jesus performed. He People who had leprosy or sick servants or fevers or demon possession or paralysis or death or bleeding or blindness or muteness, And they were all healed. And Matthew says that there were many more that he didn't record. And the Pharisees here are arrogantly asking for Jesus to give them another sign. It's as if they're saying, Will prove yourself to us, Jesus, with something more exciting, more sensational than what you have already done, which is hardly possible, is it? And Jesus calls them out, doesn't he? And he gives them an answer at the same time. Have a look there, verse 39. He calls them wicked and adulterous. Wicked or evil because they're against Jesus. And adulterous... Because they are being untrue to God. They were the leaders with the task of leading God's people to God's truth. And here they are rejecting God's truth, who is standing right in front of them, doing the miracles in front of them. Then he says, yes, I will give you one more sign. I'll give you the sign of Jonah, who was alive after three days inside a fish. Because we live on the other side of Jesus' death and resurrection, we know what Jesus meant about his resurrection, didn't we? That Jesus would be alive after three days, dead and buried in the grave. But do you think that even the resurrection would convince these Pharisees, that Jesus' resurrection would convince them? I don't think so. And Jesus knows it. He knows their hearts and their hearts are hard. Jesus was going to go through an experience like Jonah's. He was going to go into the storm of God's judgment, even though he didn't deserve it. His time in the grave was going to save us from having to experience death and judgment in the grave. And yet, he would rise from the dead like Jonah, return from three days in the fish, which would prove that Jesus had ultimate power not only to bring forgiveness of sin, but also also showing that he had power over death for us. And would the leaders of God's people recognise Jesus as sent from God? Did they repent and acknowledge God's anointed one? Well, no, because their hearts were hardened. It's shocking, isn't it? And why is it so shocking? You might be thinking we should cut the Pharisees a little bit of slack here. But look at what Jesus says next. Look at verse 41. The men of Nineveh, who weren't Jews, who were not part of God's chosen people, who were a wicked and cruel nation, well, they will stand up at the judgment when it happens with this generation of the Pharisees and condemn them. For even the Ninevites repented at the preaching of Jonah. The pagan Ninevites saw the signs; they listened to Jonah's preaching, and they repented. But these Pharisees won't. Then, verse forty-two: the queen of the south, who was again not a, a Jew, but a queen from Ethiopia, well, she will raise at she will raise rise at the judgment with this generation of the Pharisees and condemn it again. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom. She saw the signs and recognised God, and the Pharisees won't. 1 Kings chapter 10 is a beautiful chapter to read for context. The Queen of the South, the Queen of Sheba, heard about Solomon and his connection with the Lord, so she came to test him with hard questions. He answered all of her questions and she saw all of his wisdom, and it says she was overwhelmed. And she said in chapter 10, verse 6 of 1 Kings, uh, <clears throat> the, law, the, "'The report I have heard in my own country about your achievements "'and your wisdom is true,' she says. "'But I did not believe these things until I came "'and saw them with my own eyes. "'Indeed, not even half was told me. "'In wisdom and wealth you have far exceeded the report I heard.'" Praise be to the Lord your God who has delighted in you and placed you on the throne of Israel. And she gave the king gold, spices, precious stones as a form of worship. Isn't that the response that the Pharisees should have to Jesus? Shouldn't they be saying, Praise be to God, the promised Messiah has come and he's doing all these miracles in front of us? Wouldn't that be how you would expect the shepherds of God's people to respond? when the one sent from God arrives? But no, their hearts were hardened. On Judgment Day, both the Ninevites and the Queen of the South will stand up and condemn these Pharisees because they recognise God's word, repented and worshipped, but the Pharisees have done neither. Even though they have... An even greater person standing in front of them. Someone greater than Jonah, verse 41, and someone greater than Solomon, verse 42. But Jesus knows their hearts, and the Pharisees' hearts are hardened. And Jesus goes on to give us an illustration of the condition of their hearts in verses 43 to 45. He describes them as people who have wanted to get their house, their their lives in order. Who have sought to follow God's laws, in addition to adding other rules to follow as well. They've tried to sweep out the evil in their lives. They've cleaned out the idolatry that many of God's people practiced in the Old Testament. It's what might you? It's what you? It's, might, it's what? It's what you might call. I sound like um, Bugs Bunny there, didn't I? It, it's what you might call an outer reformation or behaviour modification. But they've so focused on the outer reformation, but what they actually need, their greatest need, is a new heart. Jesus goes on in this parable, saying that after the impure spirit has left, it wanders around and finds nowhere to go, so it returns back to the house it was at, and when it arrives, it finds the house unoccupied, slept clean, put in order, That's the legalism of the Pharisees. But that leaves them vulnerable because, look at verse 45, then it, the impure spirit, goes and takes with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself and they go in and live in there. And the final condition of that person is worse than the first. Legalism is dangerous, isn't it? It gets progressively worse from year to year and from generation to generation. The more we convince ourselves that we can reform our lives, the more we work harder and harder to do it, yet it comes up empty every time because it's hopeless. It doesn't save you. It's not from God. Jesus would imply here that it's even demonic, It takes you further and further away from recognising God and from receiving the gospel of grace. Well, so far we've heard that the Pharisees do not need a sign and they do not need empty and legalistic religion. So what do they need then? Well, they need an intimate relationship which comes through an inner transformation, something on the inside. And what better picture to give than the picture of a family as we finish looking at verses 46 to 50. Verse 47, someone says to Jesus, your mother and your brothers are standing outside wanting to speak with you. He replied to them, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing not to the Pharisees this time, but pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and and sister and mother. Without getting too hung up about whether Jesus was ignoring his blood family, what's Jesus really saying here? These Pharisees have an outward reformation. But what they need is an inner change. And that comes through a relationship as intimate as a family one. Jesus is inviting humanity in this passage to be his brother and sister. The capital Son of God is going to make it possible for us to be called small sons and daughters of God. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? We're probably so familiar with the words that we're not amazed by it anymore. When we come to God through Jesus the Son, we're given a new heart, We're given a place in the family of God that we could never earn or deserve. And we're given an inner transformation. What an invitation that Jesus knows our heart. The question is, how's your heart? Maybe Jesus knows it better than you. And, and you should pray that God would reveal the health of your heart to yourself, to you, that he would reveal it to you. Is your life an outer reformation? Is it about behaviour modification, being reformed by your own work? Maybe you've emptied out your sinful behaviour, but legalism has crept in. Or has your life experienced an inner transformation transformed by the work of the Spirit of Jesus, welcomed into the family of God and given a brand new soft heart. Jesus knows our thoughts, but more than that, Jesus knows our hearts. He knew that these Pharisees didn't need another sign. They'd get one when he rose from the dead, but even then they wouldn't recognise Jesus for who he is, Because they had hard hearts. What they needed and what we need is an intimate relationship that can transform us from the inside and give us a new heart. You might be someone who's attended church for more years than I've been alive. You might be someone who's given more money and more time and more lip service to God than all of the rest of us combined. But do you have an intimate family relationship with God through his son? Have you given up trying to reform your own life? Have you bowed down to the message and the wisdom of God like the Ninevites and the the Queen of the South did? Many of you will know John Stott, the author and theologian. Let me read what he said about the work of God in his life. He said, intellectually speaking, I had believed in Jesus all my life on the other side of the door. So just over there, just out of reach. I had regularly struggled to say my prayers through the keyhole, just a little bit of access. I'd even pushed a few pennies under the door in a vain attempt to pacify him. I'd been baptised, yes, and confirmed as well. Card-carrying Anglican. I went to church, read my Bible, had high ideals and tried to be good and do good. But all the time, often without realising it, I was holding Christ at arm's length and keeping him outside. I'm profoundly grateful to him for enabling me to open the door. Looking back, now over more than 50 years, he says, I realised that, the, that, that, the that that simple step had changed his entire direction, his course and quality of life. This passage reveals Jesus to us as a greater prophet than Jonah, a wiser king than Solomon, an elder brother even. Is he that for you? Have you repented like the Ninevites because you're aware of his great message of salvation? Have you worshipped because you're aware of his mighty power? Have you recognised who Jesus really is because of his clear signs and his clearest sign of all, his death and resurrection and triumphant ascension to heaven? If you have, at the judgement, Jesus will say of you, here are my mother and my brother and my sisters. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and my sister And my mother. You see, none of us need more signs than what we have recorded in the Bible. None of us need empty religion without a reformation. What we need is a new heart to be welcomed into an intimate relationship with God through the finished work of Jesus. And and what if you do have a new heart? What application do you take away from from this passage tonight? Well, if you're a parent, or you're going to be a parent, or you're a grandparent, you'll be praying, won't you, for your charges, the people in your care, for that inner transformation to occur in your child's heart. You'll be less absorbed with the outer reformation, and more concerned about the new heart that God can give your precious child or grandchild. If you're a friend who's been trying to witness to non-Christians around you, you'll be pointing them less to the good life you live, because anyone can have a good life on the outside. Instead, you'll be talking about things of the heart. You'll be showing them the fruit of Jesus living in you. And you'll be looking for opportunities to talk naturally about Jesus, the greater prophet, the wiser king, the one who invites broken, sinful people into his forever family. If you're a husband or a wife or a girlfriend or a boyfriend, you'll be patient with your partner, not forcing them or threatening them into outer reformation You'll be praying for God to continually do, be doing an inner work, of, inner transformation in their life and your life. I'm so glad Alana prays that for me, and she has lots of opportunities to pray that for me. If you're involved in a small group or serving with kids or young people, you'll be real. You'll be talking more about the inner work of God in your life than the outer work that you do for God you'll be allowing your new heart to weep with those who weep, rejoice with those who rejoice, loving people like Jesus loved people, because your intimate relationship with Jesus will overflow into the intimate relationships you have with other people. It doesn't come naturally, does it, in our own human nature, but it does come naturally to the new heart that Jesus gives us. We sang this line before in the in the song Jesus paid it all. Lord, now indeed I find thy power and thine alone can change the leper's spots and melt the heart of stone. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. And when before the throne, I stand in him complete. Jesus died, my soul to save. My lips shall still repeat. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Amen.